It's so amazing the little glimpses that we get of eternity, isn't it? When we gather, we're going to be gathered forever. We're going to spend eternity together, and we're going to be worshiping Jesus forever. So that was just some practice today. We'll keep up the practice, (laughs) and uh, we will give glory to the Lord. Amen? So uh, we are, of course, uh, thankful to be here together Uh, We are blessed that the tomb is empty. Amen? We are amazed at the work of the resurrection. Uh, Our theme this year, if you've been with us and you've been following along, and uh, we know the theme is always the resurrection, of course, Uh, but we've been focusing in on this theme of empty. And on Friday night, we, we looked at this message of the cross and how Jesus was emptied, body, soul, and spirit, Jesus was poured out. He was empty. And now today, we take a look at the resurrection and what the resurrection means to us as people, as believers in Jesus Christ, looking today at a contrast between what life is with and without the resurrection. And we'll look to Paul's message on resurrection in his letter to the church of Corinth. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will be our text for today. If you need a Bible, put up your hand. The ushers would be glad to get one into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to make this a gift to you. You could take it home. Just let us know that you're taking it home so we can fill up the shelf back there and have more ready to go. Keep it up so that the ushers can see and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, we begin. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Here in these first seven verses, as Paul writes, and this is, Paul is giving a message on resurrection. And that, of course, is our focus here. And not just that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but of resurrection for each one of us. And there's this challenge that the church of Corinth was faced with and a challenge that we will face ourselves today. But Paul starts out here with the absolute of the gospel. The gospel In the gospel, the resurrection is the centerpiece. In fact, the the resurrection is the centerpiece for all of faith, as we will get into further today. And Paul says here, first of all, 
saying, look, it actually happened. First of all, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again, according to the scriptures. It actually happened. Paul, he's a pretty trustworthy guy. Paul, the apostle, the pastor, teacher, discipler, great church leader and influencer of the day. He makes this truth very clear and very absolute in saying, first of all, Christ died. He's giving a breakdown of the gospel because the gospel is what is essential. And we can easily get caught up in all different things in life and in our ideology. But unfortunately, sometimes we let our ideology become our theology. And we get caught up in things that are not the gospel. We've seen it happen over the last couple of years. Various approaches to COVID and vaccines and being masked or unmasked and all these things. And you know what our approach is? And people have asked me time and time again, and I'm not just avoiding the topic of COVID. I'm just staying faithful to the gospel. Masks are not the gospel. Vaccines are not the gospel. Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures. Jesus was buried and rose again. That is a bit more essential than all the other ideologies that we try to flavor life with. But Paul makes this his emphasis, the gospel. It is absolute. The starting point for the gospel is that it is truth. And Paul's saying, as he's presenting it here, he's presenting it in a way to say, look, I didn't make it up. Because the reality is, guys, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, you, he says, look, Christ died according to the scriptures. It can't be made up. And we recently studied through the gospel of John and, and got to see the, words, the works of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, his death, his resurrection through that study. And as we saw that, we're amazed at the fact that it all happens according to the scriptures, we talked about it as well on Friday night this week. Christ died according to the scriptures. It happened exactly at the time that God ordained it to happen. In the way, down to every single detail, as God ordained it to take place. You can't make that stuff up. There's hundreds of prophecies that have come to be. You can't make that stuff up. It's not coincidence. Just last Sunday in the evening, we celebrated Passover. We had a Passover Seder. The word Seder means order. And there's this whole order in which the, the Jewish community, they celebrate Passover and they follow an order of events, but they're missing the point. The gospel. Jesus is the centerpiece. You see, as God even gave them this picture of Passover and this feast and this celebration and then has them celebrate it and then Jesus comes and says, when you do this, 
do it in remembrance of me. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. You can't make this stuff up. And that's how Paul presents it. Christ died according to the scriptures. You can't make it up. This validates, of course, Paul's statements as well. That they're not made up. Christ died according to the scriptures. You can read the account. Christ died. This is a historical account that has been documented. Christ died. And then Paul says also that further that he, in saying that he didn't make it up, he said, look, I just received it. See, he makes it very clear. Just in case you think that I'm making this up or I'm stirring things and, and coming up with my own gospel, this is not Paul's gospel. This is the gospel. And as I share with you today, as I, I present the word of God to you today, I'm saying, look, this is not my gospel. This is the gospel. This is the word of God, the truth. And it's so real and it's so relevant to everyday life. So he says, look, I've, I'm just a messenger. I have received and I'm, I'm delivering. Delivering the truth as a messenger, the truth of the gospel, that Christ died, that it actually happened, and that Christ was buried. Now this is often a part of the gospel that we will overlook. We go right to he died and he rose. Amen. That's great. But it is an essential piece of the gospel as Paul presents it. Christ died and he was buried and on the third day he rose again. Now, this is an essential that Christ was buried to the gospel because, it, one, it fulfills the scriptures and it is proof. It is confirmation of his death because they wouldn't be putting a living body into the tomb and then rolling the stone in front of the tomb. That was not an acceptable practice. So the fact that he was buried in the tomb is confirmation that he is who he says he is, that he's fulfilling the scriptures and that he died. And then, of course, Christ rose again also an essential to the gospel. And it's not just an add-on to the gospel. Yes, Christ on the cross said, it is finished. But wait, there's more. It didn't end with the cross. And the resurrection is not an add-on to the work of the cross. We can look at it this way, and David Guzik says it well. He says, if the cross is payment for our sins then the empty tomb is the receipt. It's the evidence. The tomb is empty. And so here Paul speaks of the gospel to be matter of fact in every way. The resurrection is fact. And there's evidence for it. He presents evidence for it. That many saw the resurrected Christ. He was confirmed dead. We studied that on Friday. They pierced his side. Blood and water poured out as evidence of his death. They buried him as evidence of his death. He was confirmed dead. 
These experts on death, the soldiers, the centurions that were there, they were experts on death, and they confirmed that Jesus actually died. This is all historical account. You can't make this stuff up. So he was confirmed dead, he was buried, and he was confirmed alive. Because over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. All of this is great evidence for the resurrection. But then there's even more. Verse 8. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Further evidence for the resurrection here. We sang the song, my testimony from death to life. Further evidence of the resurrection is people's testimony. And here Paul is saying exactly that. I am evidence of the resurrection. My life is evidence of the resurrection. One, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus showed up. So he saw the resurrected Savior. He's verifying, yeah, it's true, I saw Jesus risen. And Jesus changed me. Nobody can argue that. You ever struggling to minister to somebody? Maybe you're trying to evangelize. You're like, I just don't know what to say. Share your testimony. Nobody can argue that. Jesus changed me. And Paul uses that as evidence of the resurrection. He was changed by grace. He was transformed. And grace and transformation is amazing evidence for the resurrection. It's probably the greatest evidence for the resurrection is changed lives. We can look around the room and, and there's many of you that would say, amen, I am changed. I am saved by grace. In Christ, I have been brought from death to life. That is incredible evidence for the resurrection. And so that, now we establish this great evidence for the resurrection. Let's look at the importance of the resurrection. Continuing verse 12 here. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. This is a problem. Now, Paul presents this and says, look, if Christ has preached that he has been raised, if this is the gospel and the gospel has been made clear to you, then why would you challenge the gospel? 
which there is clear evidence of the resurrection. He just presented that. There's clear evidence of the resurrection in my life, and there's clear evidence of the resurrection in many other people's lives. So why would you argue that? There was a problem here in the the church of Corinth. There was a, a bit of a debate And some people challenged that idea of there being resurrection of the dead. But yet at the same time, they claimed, yeah, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, the problem was there was a religious idea in their mind. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's a good guy. Yeah, Jesus, he's alive, of course. And maybe you're here today and maybe you only come to church on Easter or Christmas or both. And you're here and you're thinking, hey, yeah, I believe Jesus is a good guy. and Yeah, of course Jesus rose from the dead. But are you living as though Jesus is alive? Paul says, hey, look, if there's such clear evidence for the resurrection, then why do some reject that there is resurrection of the dead? After Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to the words of Jesus at least. Now, this is the age-old question, of course. Everybody would ask or has been asked maybe before, what happens when you die? Is this it? It would be pretty depressing if this is it. And Paul will actually go on to say exactly that. Is this it or is there life after death? And that was the problem that people within the church were were dealing with. Is there life after death? What is this all about? You see, resurrection is so clearly taught by those who experience not just the resurrected Christ, but personal spiritual resurrection, that they have been brought from death to life. But yet some, and some of you, are living still as dead men, holding on to sinful ways. And holding on to sinful ways devalues the resurrection. And this was a problem in the Corinthian church. People were rejecting that there was resurrection of the dead, questioning, is there life after death? Is there really That's too hard for me to believe. That's too hard for me to understand. But Paul makes it very clear. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. That is a big problem. If we've gotten to that place, this is a big problem. Then Christ is not risen. So what Paul is saying is, if you believe that there is no resurrection of the dead then you are claiming that Christ is not alive. And Paul himself is like, but I could tell you Christ is alive. I've seen him and he's changed me. And there's all these other people who also have seen him and have been changed by the grace of God. Further, verse 14, then Paul continues on to present this and saying, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, who he did not raise up, 
if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And that is challenging and can be really depressing. Paul's speaking here of emptiness. Now, we've been talking about this theme of empty for Easter this year. And the reality is that Paul presents this to say, look, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Speaking of himself, speaking of all the apostles, speaking of all the people who saw the resurrected Christ and those who would speak the truth and, and proclaim the gospel, he said, look, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we're liars. We've got nothing. We've got no leg to stand on. If that's true, the reality is then, not just our preaching is empty, but your faith is empty. In fact, the reality is if our preaching is empty, if Christ is not risen and your faith is empty, then you know what? Everything's empty. In reality, then what are we doing? What is life all about? Paul is speaking of a total emptiness, a personal inward emptiness if Christ is not risen. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then everything is meaningless. So the word here for empty is actually vain. That your life is in vain, meaning you are without purpose and without hope. That is a depressing statement. If Christ is not risen, then everything is meaningless. If there's no life after death, then what are we doing? So if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then the apostles are liars. And if Christ is not risen, their teaching is empty. And, and all who have gone before for now thousands of years, all who have gone before testifying of the fact that they have spiritually been brought from death to life, they're all liars. I'm a liar if Christ is not risen. Thousands of years of believers in Jesus Christ that all proclaim the resurrection to be true, to be fact. If Christ is not risen, then they're all crazy. In fact, all those who even died for their faith, who died for the sake of the gospel, they're crazy. I don't believe that. Because we believe that Christ is risen. If Christ is not risen, all faith is empty and all faith is meaningless. And if Christ is not risen, then death has the final victory. When you die, that's the end. If Christ is not risen, then Jesus is not God. Our sins are not paid for and we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. 
ultimately, if Christ is not risen, then Jesus is unable to save. And we, as it says, are the most pitiable. We are without hope. It's a sad scene, is what Paul is saying. If Christ is not risen, then our hope is all this. No thanks. I mean, I love you guys. But really, it's only because Christ is risen. <laughs> Let's be real. Think about this. We're gathered here, hundreds of people in this place today. Over three services right here on this property. But think of all the people gathered around the world on this day. Because Christ is risen. Not because he might be. And certainly not because he isn't. But without the resurrection, then we are without hope. Our hope is just in this life. And this life can be really disappointing. As Paul puts it, pitiable or miserable. That's the word he uses. You're miserable. Without trusting and believing in the resurrection, we are miserable. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Christ's deity, his sovereignty, our justification, our resurrection, and our hope all hinges on the resurrection. We can't sing a song like Living Hope if the resurrection didn't happen. Verse 20. But, it's one of those in the Bible, a big but, Christ is risen from the dead. Matter of fact, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul bringing it full circle to say, it happened. You might struggle over the idea of, of resurrection of the dead, but if you struggle over that, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, we have major, major problems in our faith and in our everyday living. But the fact is, Christ did raise from the dead. It actually happened. And this is real hope. That's what it is. We're given hope now because of that. It's not the hope that he talks about in verse 19. The hope, that hope is miserable. That hope is empty. It is pitiable. But when we have the resurrection, that's real hope. It's completely contrary to emptiness without the resurrection. There is hope in this single statement. The word but changes everything between these two verses. Christ did rise. Therefore, there is resurrection. And as he says here, therefore, Christ has become the first fruits. First fruits is a word used in celebrating, in offering of first fruits to the Lord. The word means entrance fee. Recognizing that Jesus paid the entrance fee for our resurrection. For our living, our eternal living, Jesus paid the entrance fee. 
So now through the resurrection of Christ, we are resurrected with Christ by grace through faith in relationship with Christ that brings new life and eternal life. You see, he changes us here and now, amen, but he gives us eternal life. That's what the resurrection brings because Jesus is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. So now, contrary to the emptiness that we have without the resurrection, we have hope because of the resurrection. You can turn with me over to John chapter 19. You don't have to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish out here in the Gospels looking at this account of the resurrection. In John chapter 19... Verse 38 says this. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, Christ, Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as is customary of the Jews, is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there laid Jesus. They laid Jesus there because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb, was nearby. There's good news, guys. The cross is empty. They didn't leave him there. Now, this all happened according to Scripture, but as Pilate gave permission, they, they came and they took the body of Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. And he meant it. And he didn't stay there on the cross. He was buried as evidence of his death, of his humanity even. You see, we have hope in an empty cross. The cross is empty and it is finished. Jesus said it, to tell us die. Well, further here in chapter 20 in the Gospel of John, it says this, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in place by itself. Here, we see the empty grave clothes. 
And we have freedom in the empty grave clothes. Freedom from sin. I'm reminded of John chapter 11 when Jesus called Lazarus forth out of the tomb. The same word here, we see the grave clothes. Jesus said, take off your grave clothes. Take off your garments of death. And here we see that Jesus took off the garments of death. And the garments of death are sitting empty in the tomb. John 11 also is where Jesus claims and shows himself to be the resurrection and the life. If we believe in Jesus, we must believe in the whole gospel. That he is the resurrection and the life and that he brings resurrection and life through his resurrection. So we see here in the midst of all of our emptiness and and even to the idea that look, without the resurrection, everything is empty. But with the resurrection, we have an empty cross We have an empty cross that brings hope. We have empty grave clothes that give us freedom. And then closing with this in Luke chapter 24, you don't have to turn, just listen as I read. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Guys, we have an empty tomb. And we have victory in the empty tomb. The tomb is empty as evidence of victory over death itself. And Jesus wept over death. God created the world and didn't desire for there to be death. But sin brought death. So there was a problem now. Sin is a big problem. But Jesus rose in victory. The tomb is empty as evidence of that victory. Praise the Lord. So remember this. On this resurrection day, the empty cross, the empty grave clothes, and the empty tomb fulfill our emptiness. Satisfies the wrath of God. Satisfies our faith validates the gospel and gives us hope, brings us the promise of the Holy Spirit and gives us resurrection and life through relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. And here today, 
we cry out to you in desperation. We need you. Without the resurrection, we are without hope. We're without hope of eternal life, of life after death. We need you. We need you here and now to move in our hearts, to move in this place. Listen, if you're, if you're a believer, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I ask you now, would you pray? Stop and pray for anybody who's here or who might be watching online or listening. Pray that the walls would come down. Pray that people might surrender their lives to Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. And listen, if you are here or if you're watching, you're joining us online, I want to give you an invitation. Give your life to Jesus. Invite him in to be the Lord of your life. Trust and believe that the resurrection actually happened. And in that, Jesus has given you the opportunity of eternal life. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To sin is simply to miss the mark. We are not perfect, not one of us, but Jesus was. And the perfect, spotless Jesus, the lamb, was sacrificed on the cross for your sins and for mine. And he offers us the gift of eternal life. And so if you have never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with him, would you invite him in today?